Hey guys, what's going on? My name is Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. This is the Thrive Bites podcast, and welcome to season five. Here we talk about three things, plant-powered living, enhancing emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview the most passionate guests here, ranging from physicians to coaches to dietitians to entrepreneurs. And my hope is to give you really informative and high-valued conversations. So please Follow us here on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and wherever you hear your podcasts. Come on in, and I can't wait to see you inside. Hey guys, welcome to this season opener, episode one for season five of the Thrive Bites podcast. I am so glad that you are here with us, and I'm super stoked for this episode. Uh, my guest for today is Danielle Ripley Burgess, and she is the chief storyteller for Fight CRC, uh, which is fighting uh, colorectal cancer. And it's a great episode. We go into the origin story about how not only she had to face colorectal cancer once, but also she had to face it twice. So it's a very, very interesting and personal story. We talk about um, how she you know, went through that, how she processed through that. Um, should we talk about misconceptions? Um, we go over a few uh, statistics um, with colorectal cancer, and we go into um, her advocacy, editing, and communications work um, with Fight CRC Organization. And it's a great story. Um, a few facts about colorectal cancer that I definitely want to highlight is colorectal cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death among men and women combined in the U.S. And 25 to 30% of colorectal patients have a family history. One in 23 men and one in 25 women will be diagnosed with colorectal cancer. And the good news about that is that it's very preventable with screening and they're affordable and there's also take-home options um, exists. Um, in fact, up to 60% of colorectal cancer deaths can be prevented with screening. So here are a few facts for colorectal cancer under 50. One in 10 colorectal cancers are actually diagnosed um, in patients under 50 years of age and the rates of early onset colorectal cancer has been steadily rising um, since the mid 90s. Um, there's been a 51% increase in cases between 20 and 49 uh, years of age from 1994 to 2012. So it, this is a very important episode. Um, and of course, with all of our episodes, I highly encourage that you seek a healthcare profession uh, know uh, with your primary care physician, specialist, or mental health uh, professional as well. And um, these are just for information purposes. But thank you so much for joining in. And let's get into the episode. Okay, guys, and welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites. Welcome to season five. We are super, super excited for this upcoming season. I have a great guest for today, um, and I am truly, truly honored and stoked uh, for our next uh, guest. And I'm uh, just going to read a little bit about her bio. Um, her full name is Danielle Ripley. Burgess, and uh, she is a two-time colorectal cancer survivor, first diagnosed at age 17. And uh, she's been ever since a part of a growing community of an early onset survivors facing the disease well before the age of 50. 
Um, she has joined Fight CRC, which stands for Colorectal Cancer, as an advocate back in 2012, and has since been part of that community ever since. And she's the uh, she serves as the first director of communications for five years, and currently she brings strategic communications and public relations support to the team. She's also the editor in chief of Beyond Blue. Super excited to talk about that further. And uh, through her partnerships and networking, she has they have reached millions of people during March Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. And her personal stru- uh, story has been told around the world in outlets like the Today Show, BBC's. World Have Your Say, Serious Radio's Doctors Radio, um, the Chicago Tribune, among others. And uh, super stoked. Please welcome Danielle. Hello. Hi. <laughs> How's it going? Thank you so much for joining us uh, with us for today. I'm super, super stoked. Oh, I'm always up for telling my story and talking about colon cancer. <laughs> um, I, um, where are you calling from, for, uh, by the way? Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, wow. So I'm in the um, Portland uh, Chiefs fan. So we are, we are really jazzed. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, because this new year, you know, um, of 2022, you know, uh, what have you, uh, you know, do you have any goals or, you know, milestones that you want to achieve for this year? Or is it one of those where, oh, man, it's, a, it's another year, you know, we're still in the pandemic, you know, uh, what am I going to do? yeah probably both um yeah I think all of us are probably saying okay you know let's keep keep on one step in front of the other it's been interesting being a cancer survivor in the middle of a pandemic because the whole world has now learned and felt kind of what it feels like to get severely sick and you just have to keep going and you know you hope it's going to be over within a short amount of time and actually um, true sickness drags on and you have to learn how to live with it um, in survivorship. So I would say that's probably, as I think of 2022, I think of the two years of COVID approaching. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I think, I know for me, it's like learning how to survive, but in the midst of it, also starting to set some goals. Um, mm-hmm. For me this year, last year was a big year of change um, in almost every way. And so um this year, I'm just trying to maybe steady the the boat a little bit and not have so many areas of life just completely uh, look different. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's um, pandemic is different where not only, you know, it definitely gives you alarm bells, um, you know, whether to take things more seriously um, it definitely reminds us that life is short, mm-hmm. uh, but also the fragility of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like we're in this, it's almost like you're playing chess and you're playing, it's a little bit of a standstill, you know, you're not really coming and going, you don't really know what's coming up ahead. And um, it's a very interesting time to be in. And I think what I've learned is no matter what, you know, just keep going, mm-hmm. you know, good or bad. Um, I've accepted that it, you know, it's out of my control. Um, things are super, super uncertain. Um, that's definitely, you know, the the most factual part of all this, but it's really keep going and keep learning is what I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great. I, when it first kicked off, I remember I wrote a column for the Philadelphia Inquirer called the world of the well is learning the ways of the sick uh-huh. and about like, you have to find the small things. 
um, and you have to keep going and you have to be resilient. Um, even though you don't know what's going to come next, you have to keep going. So I yeah, yeah. That. No, that's great. That's great. Resiliency is uh, something we talk about a lot on the podcast. So um, I'm super excited to learn more about your story. And, um, you know, you have a very interesting um, life experience where not only are you, you know, you've had to survive and been diagnosed with colon cancer once, but also twice. So let's bring us back to, you know, the, the beginning, you know, I like to kind of, um, you know, take the story from point A to point B, but what was your experience like, you know, when you were at the age, ripe old age of 17 and, you know, when you thought that, you know, the world was your oyster and, um, you know, I feel most, you know, I can't speak for all, you know, teenagers, but, you know, you just kind of feel like you're invincible, right? Mm -hmm. You can take on the world, what was that like, you know, when, uh, what was going on, the context, you know, when that happened, when you were first diagnosed? Sure. I, I often start my story in actually a toilet paper aisle. And I say it, it starts there because that helps give context to my mindset. I, um, as a tween girl, I was really self-conscious about my body. I hated talking about anything that had to do with bathroom habits and there was a moment where I remember going to the grocery store with my mom and having this all out fight because she wanted to buy toilet paper because we were out at home and I refused to let her buy it with me when I was at the store. Couldn't think of anything worse than having toilet paper in our cart and my friends from school seeing us and knowing that, you know, my family pooped, AKA I pooped. So I always start my story there to say that was my mindset. Um, when I started seeing symptoms not too long after that, I think I was probably in around eighth grade when I first started seeing small specks of blood in my stool. And over the years, it just got worse and worse. Things at home weren't good. My parents were fighting. And so it was kind of this awkward thing where my body's doing weird things already as a developing girl, but then it's doing some other weird things I don't think are quite right. Don't know much about that don't feel super comfortable talking to my parents about it. So I'm just going to keep it to myself and hide it. And so I did that for years. Um, I tried my own little elimination diet. I tried removing things with red and stopped eating like tomatoes or red candies or no, um, uh, no ketchup, things like that. Thinking, okay, I'm going to solve the problem. Maybe it's not blood. Maybe it's just something, um, but none of that worked. And so eventually it just got worse and worse. Um, I do mention at one point I did bring this up to my mom and um, I'm not that old, but I've just grown up in the digital boom. So the internet was new mm -hmm. at the time. So <laughs> we did look up some of the symptoms I was having. And at that point it was clearly hemorrhoids. I was a volleyball player. So I was active. Um, and we thought, okay, I must be seeing hemorrhoid type stuff because everything else this would mean is serious, but it's for people, grandma and grandpa's age. And I'll never mm. forget that comment. It's for people, grandma and grandpa's age. And I was like, oh, okay. Cause everything online indicated if you were a young person, rectal bleeding or, or anything else, like you're probably good. So I was like, all right, great. I have hemorrhoids. A few years after that is when the bleeding got so bad, I couldn't deny it anymore. And so I eventually 
um, told my boyfriend, actually, I confided in him what I was seeing. He's actually now my husband. We're still together. Mm. And one thing led to another. And I was thankfully rushed to a GI um, who did not hesitate to do a colonoscopy on me, even though I was 17 years old, a junior in high school, and he found the tumor. And I was diagnosed uh, stage three colorectal cancer. And I had just turned 17, like three weeks prior. Oh, wow. That, that must be, um, that must've been different. Um, very, very much different. Um, and did you, besides the, you know, what you actually saw, did you feel anything? Was there, you know, did you experience any pain, um, any type of discomfort, nausea, anything like that? Yeah. You know, looking back now that I know all the symptoms of this disease, I definitely saw other signs. The biggest one would be bloating. And then toward, I say toward the end of my symptoms, close to the time I was diagnosed, the intense abdominal pain started. So just, I I would describe it as it felt like there was a little man in my stomach with scissors trying to just cut Mm. his way out. And a lot of times, if you hear of young patients diagnosed with this disease, a lot of us have the story of intense abdominal pain, like pain that would take them to the ER. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely had uh, some of that. I didn't have as much nausea, didn't have constipation, diarrhea. Um, my main symptom was blood in the stool. And then, yeah, as it advanced, um, bloating and uh, abdominal pain. Mm. Yeah, because um, sometimes, you know, you can't even, um, you know, sometimes you 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 won't know until like stage four, um, my, my grandmother, um, you know, she had passed on, um, she was diagnosed with colorectal cancer pretty much by stage four. And, um, with pretty much, uh, at the, like a month later, she passed on and we didn't even know. Um, I think the two signs were her, she started to have loss of appetite and she started getting these bloating, you know, symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, but at that time, you know, it went by, it went, you know, really quickly. And it was just, you know, hard to stop. There wasn't enough time to intervene and, you know, things like that. So, um, you know, regardless of the age, you know, you don't know, you could be at any stage regardless of the age. Um, So it's, you know, super, super um, important. And, you know, you also had a second bout with it. What age were you um, when that, when that time uh, had occurred? Sure. I was 25, uh, eight years after my first diagnosis. So my, my first diagnosis, it's always kind of this anomaly. You know, I'm a teenager going through this. This is 21 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like a world of its own, but that was probably the more traditional cancer experience. I would say when people think of a cancer experience, chemo, radiation, surgeries, second opinions, hospital stay, all of that came with the first diagnosis. Eight years later, I had a, I was doing routine colonoscopies and the doctor found a polyp who, um, he he was concerned about it and recommended a subtotal colectomy for me, which is a procedure that removed all but about 13 inches of my large intestine. Cause he said, Danielle, I think your cancer is going to try and come back. This polyp is concerning. At the time, the biopsy did not show it as cancerous, but when I eventually went in and had the surgery done a few months later, once they took out my colon and then they biopsied this suspicious polyp, it did come back as cancerous. Fortunately, it was stage one. So we caught it early. Mm-hmm. Surgery I just had removed 
all of the cancer risk. And so I didn't have to go through treatment again after that. Mm-hmm. So my, it was really interesting because my, my second cancer experience is so different because it's a, it's a win. If you look at it through early prevention, you know, mm-hmm. I knew I was at risk for another cancer. I was staying on top of my screenings and, you know, I, I was taking all these preventive steps and we caught it early. So I didn't have to go through this big ordeal. Mm-hmm. Um, granted I was still young. I was 25. Um, and I will say it, it was harder emotionally probably for my second one. Mm-hmm. I was older. So what cancer means and its implications, um, hit you differently when you're in your twenties versus your teens. And then I had to go through a huge acceptance journey of this is life. Like cancer isn't just this fluke that happened to me when I was in high school and I had no reason to, I have no idea why it happened. Um, you know, when I was diagnosed again, it's like, I don't mean, I don't mean this in an unhealthy sense, but like cancer became my life in the Mm -hmm. sense I'm never going to be able to escape this. Mm that got the ball rolling to be more suspicious about genetics. Like why is this girl continuing to show up with early stage disease? You know, once you have it twice, you're never going to get out of the doctor's follow-ups. Like this is a lifelong thing for me. Um, So I would say it was emotionally, spiritually, uh, mentally harder. The second go around, Mm -hmm. the first go around was physically harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, most uh, most twenty year olds, you know, that I talk to, um, don't even have a primary care physician, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. And uh, you probably have seen specialists upon subspecialists upon subspecialists, yeah. and then you know some of their friends, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. so so meaning like super niche group, super mm-hmm. specialties, and um, you know, for for those of us, uh, I don't know, fortunately or unfortunately, you know to not experience that is a good thing, but it's, you know, it's like a door leading to another door that you don't hope to. So I can understand the mental health journey, um, Mm -hmm. you know, especially being in your mid twenties to kind of navigate through that. And it, it's not something that it's not like acne, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's not like something super common that Mm -hmm. someone else amongst your peer group uh, Mm -hmm. that, you know, could relate to. Right. Um, and as you were saying around 17, um, you know, what you had, you had to look up online, you had to search for things like, how's this happening? You know, can this be happening? Um, you know, there's really not much data at that time or information mm-hmm. at that time mm-hmm. in terms of having these types of cancer rates within your age group. So it just didn't, you know, I'm sure the first time it sounds like it was just more mind boggling. Yeah. And the second time it's more like, man, am I ever going to, escape this, you know, hamster wheel now that the second time, you know, has come, you know, so. Yeah. It was major acceptance. Um, and it was a process to accept, okay, this, this is the thing I will always have to budget for medical appointments. Like mm. I will always, um, have to think about this when I travel. Like I, I will always need several doctors on my case. I, and it's, even in your twenties, you still kind of feel a little invincible. Um, you know, my peers were getting married and starting their families in their twenties and here I am planning cancer care again and kind of expecting my path is different than everyone else. So yeah, it was definitely a process and, and pretty challenging. 
Did you have the support of your family and friends? And I know that you had um, you had your boyfriend at the time, who is now your husband. Um, what was that? What was that support group like? Um, you know, support corp- support group or lack you know thereof. Um, and if you had a support group, you know, what difference did that make in terms of? Um, you know, having people supportive of you versus, you know, later down the line encountering other people who are in the similar boat that were, you know, diagnosed. Can you, can you, uh, you know, share those experiences uh, with us? Yeah, I, I've had great support over the years and it's looked different when I was younger. So family definitely rallied around me. Um, really the whole community as much as they could, you know, this is before social media even. So, you know, I was a teen, a high school teen with cancer before social media. So it wasn't then what it would be now, as far as like everyone knowing that a lot of people knew, mm-hmm. I would say it was hard in high school because my friends did not know how to support me. Um, mm-hmm. I don't blame them now looking back. It's like, Oh yeah. Like they were trying to figure out who they were in their life. And then their friend all of a sudden disappears from school and they don't know where I am. Only a few of them did and they would come over. So it's been really interesting um, kind of to process through all of that and say, okay, like what needs were met when I was younger and what weren't. Um, my parents, you know, my brother, my in-laws have always been there. Um, I've been part of faith communities since I was little. Um, they've been integral and in, like kind of getting me through this. But around the, a year before my second diagnosis, I actually found a group called the Colon Club, and I found them online. And when I found Colon Club, <laughs> yes, I was like, "This can't be happening," because yeah. I had never met another young colon cancer survivor. Now I'd met a few people who'd had it older, but I'd never met anyone even under forty, especially nobody as young as me. And it was. T- 2007, I think. And I was Googling and I, I came across this website and this group had a calendar and I started looking through the calendar and all of a sudden I see faces of people just like me. Mm -hmm. And they were survivors, men and women who had had colorectal cancer well under age 50, some in their teens, some in their twenties, some in their thirties, forties. And I couldn't believe it because when I was diagnosed, I was told I was one of the only in the country, one of the youngest, you know, I went to some of the major cancer centers and even there, they were like, we have not seen this before. I felt like such a unicorn. Um, So to come across this site and to see, I am not the only one, like Mm -hmm. it was the Colon Club was founded by Molly McMaster. I think she was 22, 23 when she was Mm -hmm. diagnosed and she established it in memory of a friend she had met and had that experience of I'm not the only one and her, and her friend had passed away. So that really changed the game for me. I played for the calendar. I got in. And so I went to this photo shoot and um, we call it colon camp and it was a life changing week. I was still one of the youngest there. Um, really interesting. I was one of the youngest people there and one of the furthest out from my diagnosis, but it hmm. started to introduce me to the power of support with people who can relate, who can look you in the eyes and say, I get it. Um, and it also introduced me to advocacy and kind mm-hmm. of getting involved in some organizations that are doing really cool things to help other people and, and helping other people like me who kind of feel lost or alone. 
Mm-hmm. So, hey, you're not alone. There's a whole troop of us back here with a similar story. That was fortunately the kind of cool divine timing is, is I went through that experience and I was in the calendar and I was in the 09 calendar and 09 middle of the year of 09 is when my second diagnosis came. Mm-hmm. So I'd already met them. And when I was diagnosed the second time, although it was really hard, I had this group of people who really did also help me carry through it. And, you know, everything from here's what to eat, not eat, because somebody else in the group had had a subtotal colectomy, you know, here's how to process this. Here's how to ask about your next genetic test, because something must be going on. Like, Mm -hmm. And that support from that group, and I'm still in touch with them today, um, just invaluable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between, you know, like you said, an experience where, you know, you have support from people that love you, whether it's family and friends and, and loved ones, versus people that have actually, you know, have gone through those shared lived experiences. And like you said, have look can look you in the eye and say, like, I get it. It's very... I would imagine, you know, I can't relate, but I would imagine it's a much more profound experience, you know, to be able to share something, you know, not as common, you know, with someone else, you know, in that group. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm very, very, I'm very glad that you found that at the time that you did, because, you know, especially going, you know, be- right before getting your sec- second diagnosis, because, you know, like you said, the mental health um, journey would have been different had you not have a, you know, a, this type, type of group to kind of, um, you know, go into. Did it get bigger um, ever since? The group? Yeah. Yeah. You still take, uh, get, stay in touch with them? I do. Yeah. It, it's neat because we were divided by calendar years when I joined. Okay. So it's like a so it's like class of something. <laughs> it is kind of like a sorority. Uh, so I've got kind of my, you know, I've got my group, but then I stayed involved. I started helping the Colon Club with PR. I joined the board for a while. Yeah. And so yeah, my my community grew as far as getting to meet people who came into the Colon Club. All of them were specifically younger. Uh, mm-hmm. The mission of that group, but then a friend at the Colon Club is actually who introduced me to fight colorectal cancer. Mm-hmm. And so they connected me with this other advocacy group. And that's the one that, you know, once I met them, uh, just fell in love with the mission and the people and the storytelling. And then they had an opportunity of a lifetime for me to join their staff and, and to build a communications program for them. So, um, yeah, I always, I always mention the Colon Club because they're still small, they're grassroots, they're gritty that group is growing because this cancer is on the rise in people yeah. like us. And so even in 20 years since I've entered this, it's completely different now. Like this, people used to look at me like I was crazy. I had this story and they're like, we've never heard this before. You're one of the only people in the country. And now it's like, Oh yeah, you're a young colon cancer survivor. Yeah. That's on the rise. That's prevalent. You know, there was mm. uh, last night, ABC news covered it. And between 20 age 20 and 29, it's up over a hundred percent growth, like colon mm. cancer is happening in this age group. So something's happening even in the population yeah. to where, yeah, this, these groups are growing um, because like survivor groups, I mean, more people are facing this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely want to, uh, you know, definitely talk about the organization and advocacy work um, in a bit, but 
you know, let's just say you had a, a DeLorean, right? Back to the future. You can go back in time, right? Knowing what you know now, you know, what would you say if you had a chance to travel back in time to face your 17th year old self? Like, what would you say to her? Is there anything different? Um, were there, you know, would there be things that you would have changed within, I don't know, your diet or lifestyle um, or maybe the environment, you know, knowing what you know now, like, what would you say if you had a DeLorean to go back? Mm. That's a good question. That's a hard question. Because does she have social media? Like, <laughs> like it is like my my daughter thing. It's I feel like a dinosaur. I'm like I promise you, I'm not even forty years old, but like I, we are in two different worlds. Um, yeah. So even if she doesn't have social media, still, I would. It's so hard to say. Um, I'd probably tell her there's a reason you're so tired after volleyball practice, um, and to look into that to keep playing because I was a pretty big athlete. Like that was important to me, but I just got so tired and worn mm. down and I quit playing sports and um, looking back, I'm like, I bet I quit playing. Cause my body was like, had a tumor. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's a big one that I'd probably say, Hey, keep playing. Um, and you know, I, I hid, like I hid my symptoms and I hid them from everybody who loved me. And I, and I think I had valid reasons for that. Um, you don't know how to go through something like that as a kid, like, especially when your home's breaking apart, my parents didn't end up getting divorced. So I think if I could tell her something and her situation and her context didn't change, I would just tell her, I see her mm. speak up, like find some safe people to tell what's really going on with you. Mm -hmm. Because outside of Mike and maybe my youth pastors, I really did not feel like I had many people I could be honest with about what was going on yeah. with me. And even then I was very selectively honest. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't really come forth and tell people um, I was seeing blood in my stool. Uh, I actually, I wrote a memoir and when I uh, was trying to put words to that experience, the best way I could describe it as a teenager, I got busted for like bleeding out my mm -hmm. butt. Like, you know, it was almost like I was in trouble because I hadn't told anybody. And now all of a sudden, like, I have a major health problem. Mm -hmm. um, so I have a lot of, I have a lot more empathy for my younger self now mm -hmm. than I did back then. Uh, I have a lot more compassion for her and what mm -hmm. she was carrying and what she was dealing with. And I'm just sad that the younger version of me felt so alone. And like, I yeah. had, had so much of myself. Um, so, you know. yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there were cycles of, um, you know, shame and guilt. Um, and at the same time, you're also trying to navigate it. And at that time, you know, it wasn't as prevalent um, or as widespread as it is today. So even the professionals, uh, health professionals are, you know, just as surprised, you know, um, they're just uh, you know, like, <laughs> do we need to go to a second opinion, a third opinion, right. a fourth opinion, you know, yeah. um, because we're probably like, you know, that shrug emoji. I, this is, <laughs> this is, you know, escape. Yeah. I'm dumbfounded. Like this is escaping me. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. You know, when my, uh, my parents, I was at work, so they came up to tell me I had, I had had a colonoscopy and they didn't tell me when I woke up, 
what everyone thought we were dealing with. Even then they were like, yeah, they found something. They had to send it off to more testing. And I was kind of like, okay. So went on with life, went back to school, went to work. Um, and the, the Tuesday night I was one of those, like, I always remember where I was, what I was doing. They came up to work and they told me and they go, Danielle, we got your test results back from this weekend. And, uh, you know, the, the, they found a tumor on last Saturday and it's malignant. Mm. And I was like, okay, what does malignant mean? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> let's cover <laughs> basics first, right? And they were like, yeah, it's, a, you know, it's in your colon. And I'm like, colon? Like, what's a colon? What's a colon? Like, I knew large intestine, small intestine. Like, I've never been taught colon. So that's where, like, when now I get it. I don't know if it's because I'm older or it's more prevalent. Now these vocabulary words are like more out there. People are talking about it. But even then, like, and even now with teenagers, like you, you have weird symptoms and pain and cramping. You don't assume you have cancer. Like you don't, yeah. you don't assume you have late stage cancer. Um, so yeah, I knew I had some like severe symptoms going on, but honestly, like having cancer never crossed my mind. And even when I was yeah. diagnosed, the the what having cancer meant to me as a teenager, it just it wouldn't mean the same thing as if I if I was diagnosed today, what having cancer means would be very different today than mm-hmm. twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Hey guys, we're gonna be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, this is Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and thank you so much for taking the time out to listen to my podcast. On my podcast, we talk about eating and cooking and living from a whole food, plant-based approach. And between my patients, clients, and my audience listeners, I get a lot of questions of, hey doc, how do I get started on how to set up a kitchen? Or what should I buy? What should I make? Is there something beyond a salad, broccoli, and a smoothie? I know in our fast-paced life and during a pandemic, it is much more challenging to be able to teach yourself and learning how to cook. And so I partner up with Listenable, who is a leader in audio educational courses that are bite-sized. And I went ahead and created a course on how to get started on a whole foods plant-based lifestyle. And in this course, I put in my best tips, tools, and tricks on everything that I've learned on how to get someone started to eating more plants, getting healthier for you and your family. I talk about how to set up your kitchen from the pantry to the fridge, the freezer, to how to navigate the supermarket, to what kind of utensils and appliances one needs to have, to what do we need to make, how to meal prep, what kind of cooking techniques there are, and what exactly is whole foods plant-based. And I'm able to make this course over 10 lessons. Each of those lessons are less than 10 minutes long. And you'll be able to finish this in an hour. You could even do it while commuting, exercising, or even walking your dog. And in addition, you can choose from over 3,000 plus original audio lessons created by well-loved experts. Just use the coupon code ColinZhu, C-O-L-I-N-Z-H-U, on Listenable.io, and you'll be able to get 30% off a year of Listenable. So definitely check that out in the show notes, and check out the course on how to get started on a whole foods plant-based lifestyle. And I'll see you there. Thanks for listening, and now back to Thrive Bites. 
welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Because we have, you know, better screening process, um, you know, stats are, the statistics are, you know, a lot more updated, um, you know, hopefully genetics, you know, uh, testing, um, DNA testing is a lot more advanced, you know, versus that, you know, a couple of decades ago. Um, I would, I think a lot, a lot less time would have been uh, utilized more instead of going from one opinion to another opinion to a specialty to another specialty. Um, I think, you know, the diagnosis would have arrived a lot quicker Um, and then more information gathering and more like, okay, what can I do and how do I, um, you know, get better? You know, I think Mm -hmm. just, um, you know, being expedited, you know, I I would presume so. And I, and I think it's important to say I am a rare story for a lot of reasons, but I am a success story of my doctors taking me seriously Mm. because the reason I didn't have a sooner diagnosis is on me. It is my responsibility because Mm. I didn't, I didn't, and I didn't disclose what I was experiencing sooner. Um, so those calls didn't happen sooner. Yeah. In my case, we called the, my, when my parents found out what I was seeing, they called my primary care physician and on the phone, they asked some questions like, okay, what, tell me, tell us about this blood. Tell us how much, tell us mm-hmm. the color. And from the phone and my answers, they said immediately go to a GI now. Like don't basically don't come here first. We have heard enough, go straight to a GI. Mm-hmm. And then my GI was very rare, especially back then to not mm-hmm. hesitate to screen me, even though I was so young, you know, they did a, they did an in-office test, they, they confirmed I had, you know, rectal bleeding and he rushed me in there to find out why I have lost so many friends because that did not happen for them. And mm. they were either at a primary care office, they were at a GI office, they were at a specialty office, they were at an ER. They told them the same things I told my doctors but they were not taken seriously. They were told you're too young. They were told, you know, it can't be anything serious. They were given Tylenol. They were told they had diverticulitis. And this is in regards to colon cancer diagnosis or something else? Colon cancer. So Mm. they were told they were too young for colon cancer. They were too young for screening. They were too young for a colonoscopy, even though they had multiple symptoms of advanced stage colorectal cancer and they were sent home. And I'm now here still telling their stories. Um, And it weighs on me that had they had a GI like my GI, they might be here telling their own stories, but they didn't. And, Mm. you know, that's why it's a passion of mine for especially like primary care physicians and endoscopists and GIs. Like you are, they're the front lines of this. They're, they're going to be going to these doctors first, unless they go to ER. Yeah, so much pain. And we have got to have the medical profession recognize that it does not matter how old this patient is. If they have rectal bleeding or intense abdominal pain or anything GI going, like make sure it's not colorectal cancer. Yeah. Because it might be. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I definitely want to, uh, that leads me to my next question, but you know, to kind of add to your point, I mean, one, the, the prior point is that, you know, m- you know, the medical jargon is literally another language. Yeah. And if you ever had the chance to learn a secondary language in high school or junior high, um, 
it's getting the basics, getting the vocabulary, understanding where they're coming from. And unfortunately, our healthcare model is not really set up, you know, to kind of like, you know, get you up to speed, you know, you know, just, you know, understanding the basics. Um, I think a part of our job that's not really listed in our resume is really, in a way, we're kind of, you know, we're kind of the the people that translate and decipher. I think it's a super important job to be able to inform and educate appropriately and correctly and making sure that, at least from my perspective, I'm a family doc and I, you know, um, you know, I've, I've done primary care for the patient to not leave the door with more questions than answers. You know, I, it's so important, at least for me, um, you know, I can't speak for everyone, but you know, it, for them to be totally informed, you know, and then how they, what they use, what they do with that information is really up to them, you know, but it's super, super key because it's such a hard, hard area to navigate, you know, and to me, help the healthcare system is like a monster that continues to grow. And when you have something that's growing, you're going to have more and more players. And to me, it's, um, I like using cooking analogies, but it's just too many cooks in the kitchen. And sometimes it's too unnecessary. And that's where your friends, like peers, like you mentioned, kind of fall through the cracks. And it's not based off of the doctors not being well-intentioned enough or not, you know, well-educated or informed or anything like that. There needs, from our point of view, there's a stepwise process. Um, there's guidelines that we follow, you know, we just try our best to see how you are in the moment, given your context and history, and then apply that to, you know, uh, our standard of guidelines at that moment. So to me, it is unfortunate, but it's not surprising at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, to answer your point. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my next question to you, you know, based off of that, what would you say, you know, because, you know, if you were to talk to like the you know, twenties to, you know, up, you know, just shy of fifties right now, you know, twenties to forties right now, you know, what are the most common misconceptions, you know, that you get over and over, um, from other people's experiences, um, you know, dealing with colorectal cancer within these, you know, age brackets? Yeah. I would still say people assume you're too young, um, as much as that's, not the case. And we're trying to get messaging out there. You, you cannot be too young for colorectal cancer. I just hosted a round table and one of my participants was 13 when he was diagnosed, you know? So Mm. yeah, you can get this at any age. And I think that uh, gut health is, is a, it's an interesting thing. It's a hot topic. You know, this, this is how we know each other, right? (laughs) Um, so it's, it's interesting because with a, it's almost this cultural focus on gut and wellness and healthy eating, which is all important. Um, like almost explain away your symptoms with, uh, like gut health lingo, or you're going to do a microbiome test and find out what's in your microbiome from this over the counter thing, or you're going to put yourself on a certain diet, uh, elimination diet, or you're going to put yourself on some blog you found on the internet and this is probably going to solve your GI problems and you're doing all of this without a doctor or you're you're doing all of this without an expert and mm-hmm. I think that you know sometimes you just you, you have to have like a medical professional walk yeah. with you 
to really figure out what's going on with your body. And so this has been my big plea of mine, even since I was first diagnosed is do not rely on Google. Like, Mm. you know, I thought I (laughs) diagnosed with hemorrhoids. It was stage three colorectal cancer. Um, You know, and so it's like as wonderful as resources are as, you know, I'm a content writer. So as much as there's good stuff out there online, there's some bad stuff out there online. And so what I would, you know, misconceptions, you know, really think about like what you're accepting is truth based on what you're finding online. And is it, has it been medically reviewed who published it? Is it, you know, peer reviewed if it's a study, is it credible? Um, is it somebody's blog? Cause they, it worked for them and it was a miracle cure or has it actually been founded and tried by other people. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Th- th- thank you for sharing that. Um, I think the last statistic that I read was um, up to around 80% of people uh, would have Googled their, their symptoms, their signs and symptoms well before entering, you know, a doctor's office. And so um, it's super important. Um, You know, I think we're in an age where we have an oversaturation and an over, you know, over information and misinformation because there's just so much versus, you know, going back to, you know, your 17 year old self where, um, you know, we didn't have as much, right. Um, you know, it wasn't as robust. The search engine wasn't as robust, um, or, you know, even the people experiencing, you know, wasn't as common. So, but, um, this leads me to your advocacy work, your, you know, time with fight, uh, CRC. Um, I have, uh, the, you know, the, the last falls copy of the yeah. food issue. It's with so, it's so awesome. It's so, it's so <laughs> awesome. Um, this is amazing. Um, Beyond Blue, uh, volume 16, issue two, fight uh, CRC. And it's just beautiful. I mean, the design, the copy, um, you know, and it's, um, it's just jam packed with so much stuff. And so give the listeners um, an idea of what fight CRC does. Um, you know, who's it for and your role in it? Yeah, thanks. Well, Again, we're honored that you would be one of our featured experts. And last, the last issue we did, the one you're holding, is the food issue, which it it is my favorite issue we've done to date. Uh, Beyond Blue is a magazine, and we produce it every fall, and then we produce one for March. And it, it really started out with trying to create something for that person sitting in the chemo chair. Um yeah. What can they read as you know, colorectal cancer survivor specifically? That's going to encourage them. It's going to give them some stories. It's going to give them hope. But we also want to give them information, reliable information. A lot of it, based on what we've talked about prior, is just there's so much misinformation out there. So that's a a big goal of ours through the magazine. I serve as the editor in chief, and I get to use my survivor voice mm-hmm. to work with the team and bring in content that I think is really going to help somebody because I've been there and I'm not in active treatment anymore, but I know what it feels like. And I know some of the questions I had and I know what I'm dealing with now as a, as a long-term survivor, every, every day in my life, I still deal with issues from colorectal cancer. This, this is not going to go away. And so as more cases come, we are having more survivors. There's like 1.5 million of us. Um, so this is for us and um, this is for our caregivers. It's for our loved ones. It's for our medical professionals. And it's, um, 
gosh, it's just a joy to work on this, this project. So I write it, it goes in line with the fight CRC mission. So we're one of the biggest advocacy organizations for colorectal cancer in the country. And we're very focused on policy and research and uh, to bring people in to fight with us. We do patient education and we do awareness and storytelling. So I'm kind of a lot of times the first step because sometimes it's easier unless you're like a policy wonk who loves political science back in the day. Um, Sometimes it's easiest for people to like put a, put a toe into the water by like, Hey, I'm going to read a patient story or I'm going to read a magazine or I'm going to download this mini mag. That's going to help me with my side effects. So I'm kind of on that end of just helping people trust us and learn about our community. But once they get in, we really also want to teach them like, Hey, there are decisions being made in DC that affect people like you and me. Um, and it's, it's not a stretch. They represent you, <laughs> you know, but, and, and so my, I guess the way I see my role is I'm a bridge to help make policy and research feel less intimidating and help mm. break it down for people and not only un- explain what they're doing that's impacting lives, but how they, how the reader and how advocates that can then get involved in that, how they can share their story with members of Cong- Congress and influence their decision-making on voting for medical research, for example. So that's a little snapshot, I guess, mm. of you know my role, the magazine and how it fits with Fight CRC's bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so important for you to kind of, you know, operate as that bridge because, you know, just like you were navigating um, during your first diagnosis and trying to learn a lingo and, you know, all that, it's the same thing, essentially what you're doing, you know, not only are you deciphering and willing down different perspectives, you know, because there's so many, you know, unfortunately, it's just too many cooks in the kitchen. You know, you got the policy arm of it, you got, you know, the federal government arm of it, you have, um, you know, the cancer organizations, uh, you know, different types of American colleges, academic colleges, you have the research, so much, you know, and uh, so much. And I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the, 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 you know, the uh, about us, you know how like sometimes the about us is only like, oh, one or two or three, you have like three or four departments or <laughs> just yeah. so many. And, um, and, and as, as it needs to be, because there's just so much, and this is just, this is just one type of cancer, you know what I'm right. saying? Um, you know, the latest stats, um, this is, uh, around 2018, um, off of the CDC, it's like colorectal is like, the top four in terms of new cancer um, and the top four in terms of, you know, cancer deaths, you know, and this is behind lung, breast and prostate, you know, still very, very big. Cancer is still, you know, second leading cause of death, you know, after, you know, heart disease. Um, and it's, it's just, I just, I, I love it. I, I, it's beautiful. It has recipes, it has spotlights, it has people's stories, um, definitely pick, um, are they able to still pick up this issue? Um, yep. We still have copies. So they just need to go to fightcrc.org 
And then in the, the menu drop down, click on Beyond Blue and you can find out how to subscribe and we can mm -hmm. mail you a copy in a few days. Yeah. And it's great to have something tangible. I don't know about mm -hmm. you, Danielle, but like I'm sick of <laughs> doing <laughs> things virtually, but it's nice to actually hold something, Yeah, you know, a, a magazine scene. And, um, you know, at least, at least if you're distracted, you'll be distracted by the recipes inside, That's right. right? You know, in the magazine, as opposed to like a notification, like some, right. somewhere, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's great work. And uh, my last question, I, I definitely want to wrap up, um, is uh, quick tips. Um, you know, I, I I know that you're not, you know, you're speaking from your own personal anecdotal experience, but you know, are there are there you know shared experiences you know that you wish uh, you could have done ahead of time um, in terms of like whether it's screening, diet, lifestyle, environmental changes that you could you know share you know, with someone. And obviously the caveat is, you know, as, as sure you would agree is that, you know, if you can, you know, get in touch with a primary um, or a specialist, um, the better for you um, to kind of, you know, be that guy. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess quick tips based on what I've been through and where I am today would be mental health, uh, prioritize it. So you know, recognize how you're feeling. Are you feeling stressed? For me, stress is a big trigger. I think it is for a lot of people. Um, your gut is tied to your mental, emotional health. And so don't wait until it's too late to get help. That's a big, uh, probably my number one tip. Um, I do think, you know, what goes in comes out. And so with your body, you know, I mean, it's so interesting. Sometimes it's just such simple stuff. Like yeah. how many different, I, I mean, I'm a right arm, a PR person. How many different ways can we explain like <laughs> filling yourself with water, fruits and vegetables and whole grains is good for you. And doing, not doing more of that is bad for you. Like I, I'm like, it's just, it amazes me. Like my marketing colleagues, like how they find all these ways to like basically say that. Um, but really like I'm a simple girl, like back to basics. And, um, one thing I will offer though, part of what spawned the food issue is sometimes that's hard for me. Um, like a lot of raw fruits and veggies and stuff that's typically labeled healthy is hard for me to digest. And mm -hmm. so I've found, uh, alternate ways. Like I do a lot of smoothies, a lot of soups to make it easier. And mm -hmm. so I guess that's a quick tip, not only in food and eating, but like, I'm an optimist. Um, despite all I've been through, like mm. I stay optimistic. I'm always looking for a silver lining. Like I will find hope in any situation. And so I think, you know, that has probably carried me through a lot. And so there's like, there's always light at the end of the tunnel if you're willing to look for it. Now, mm. if you're mad and you're, you're resolved, like, no, like, you know, especially cancer world, this happened to me and I'm angry and I can't, you know, can't believe this, all this stuff. Like, yeah, it's going to be real tough to fight. But even in my experience, you know, the the good things that have come into my life because of cancer have really started to out, outweigh the bad. Mm. Um, and I think that's probably true about every circumstance if you give it enough time and you're open to seeing it like that. So that's probably awesome. Check your thoughts. Very, 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 very beautifully said. And um, I think with a lot of, um, you know, physical, medical manifestations of what we go through, 
continuously, I, you know, I, I do my best to emphasize and stress this enough. And as you know, as you have right now, it's really getting yourself mentally, like, like foundation, well, like building that foundation, you know, um, and, and building it strong because pandemic is probably the best example. Um, I think the only positive that I've got from it is, you know, it's something that's literally shared globally, you know, everyone that you will ever know, um, you know, has, has an understanding, like I can relate going yeah. back to earlier, like I can relate what you're saying because we all went through it. Right. Yeah. And so in a way it's kind of like, you know, we have to be able to take our, take better care of ourselves, um, practice more gentleness and kindness, um, you know, coming from a place of compassion and uh, to the point where even if something is less common and not as prevalent as, you know, back in the day for you being diagnosed with colon rectal cancer um, in your teens um, to not disregard um, or invalidate Right. And, it, you know, we could substitute, you know, colorectal cancer for something else, but just operating more from compassion. And um, I'm very, very glad that, you know, those uh, doctors, you know, advocate for you, you know, when they did, um, because the story would have uh, totally been a, a different, you know, outcome, you know, and we wouldn't yeah. have this, we wouldn't have this, you know, lovely we interview. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't have this lovely conversation. So, right. Um, thank you so much for what you do. Um, I give you immense uh, respect and props uh, for the role and your team plays and for those that you are serving. And I hope that you continue, um, you know, with, uh, you know, grace with so, so much grace and uh, gusto. Um, and I look forward um, for Fight CRC to, you know, flourish. And, um, you know, thank you so much for, you know, sharing your personal story uh, with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I have mutual respect for you and doing, and I just am so thrilled that we've kind of connected. And uh, you have a personal connection to colorectal cancer. It's like uh, it's crazy. A lot of people do. I think it's I think it's a prevalent cancer. Um, mm -hmm. So thanks for sharing that about your story and um, having me on your show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, for those that are wanting to learn more about Fight CRC or looking you up um, in general, how can they find you? Sure. So my website uh, where you can find my blog, my books is DanielleRipleyBurgess.com or on social media, I'm Danielle is B and then fight CRC is just fightcrc.org. Okay. Awesome. And uh, we'll put those in the show notes uh, down below uh, when this uh, gets out, but thank you again. Um, guys, thank you so much for watching another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like this, please like and subscribe and share. And uh, if you find this is benefit for someone else, please let them know as well. And until the next time, please say goodbye to Danielle. <laughs> Hey guys, thank you so much for watching that episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you like this, please like, follow, and subscribe. And please follow us for the latest updates for this season, season five. And if you feel that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and YouTube. And thank you so much again. And we will see you on the next one. <laughs>